Acts chapter 6, that's the grandbaby, so you'll have to excuse me. I'm just like any other grandparent. I used to make fun of those people. As soon as you meet them, it's not, hi, how are you doing? It's like, do you want to see a picture of my grandbaby? And I always thought that was so odd. And like, oh, now I'm doing it. You seen a picture of my grandbaby? <laughs> it's like, hey, they, they change you now, I'm telling you. They're precious. All right, Acts chapter 6. We'll be preaching on deacons this morning. And, and maybe this morning you'll find out uh, why you're a Baptist. And a Baptist, the B in Baptist, stands for Biblicist. And uh, I, I wanted to get into church polity, but this is not the time for it. It's not really in this chapter. We kind of get in a look at how these apostles who were the pastors of this church here in Jerusalem uh, were going to uh, uh, set the church up. And, and we, we get deeper into this. We're chasing the church through the book of Acts. I'll probably end up in the pastoral epistles because that has direct application to us today. You've got to be careful in the book of Acts. Uh, you can get uh, messed up in the book of Acts. It's the time or the Acts of the Apostles. The Bible wasn't completed yet. And you, so you've got a Jewish, this is a predominantly Jewish church here in Acts chapter 6. The Jews don't think the Gentiles can get saved. And that happens, the first Gentile to get saved is there in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. And, and so we got a predominantly Jewish church. So it's a little different, but the still has the same principles and elements that we can draw from to see what God was blessing, what was going on, and why we still need to do it the way God said to do it. Verse 1, Acts chapter 6, he says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied. So here we go again. I'm going to ad-lib just a little bit. Uh, this church multiplies again. Remember, the day of Pentecost, it grew. There was 120 people on the row in the church membership there. Acts chapter 1, about verse 10, 11. But then the day of Pentecost, there was 3,000 people born again. And so the church grew and then we had uh, there uh, a couple in chapter 4, it grew, another 4,000 was added. So now you got 4 plus 3, I got some fingers, that's 7,000 people and in a matter of a couple of weeks, a few weeks. And then here in chapter 5, last week we're preaching in chapter 5, uh, there was multitudes added. And we kind of looked at that word multitudes and we stayed on the conservative side. We've seen uh, from the Bible multitudes can mean anywhere from 5,000 to 15,000. So we stayed on the conservative side. Uh, now if I was bidding and estimating a job, I wouldn't have done that. But for the sake of <laughs> argument, I stayed on the conservative side, 5,000. So we added 5,000 to the 7,000. If my memory serves me correct, that's 13,000, right? All right. Then we get in here to now today. He says this thing multiplied. So take 13,000 and I just times it by two. That's what I did. Now it could have, it could have been three. It could have been four, but we know it wasn't one because one times one is one. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. Two times one, well, it's still two. So he says it multiplied. So now we've got, uh, let me look at my notes, because now it's getting bigger. 
26,000. Yeah, there we go. All right. I thought it was, but I'm making sure uh, you all staying with me. 26,000 people here in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read verse 7 because it multiplies again. And so, as I've told you all along, by the time you get to the end of the book of Acts, this church here in Jerusalem is upwards to 50,000 people plus in the first church. It's the first mega church in the Bible. Not that I'm for mega churches. And, and really, and I'm not trying to be mean towards big churches, God wasn't either. Uh, we was kind of on obedience there in the, in the Bible. Brother Dave was doing a good job teaching about the importance of obedience. And one of the examples he used was after the flood, well, the, the Lord told them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. He wanted them to disperse. And they didn't do it. They went and built the Tower of Babel, so on and so forth. God had to step in. Well, Christ had told them in the Great Commission, Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. And he said, beginning at Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. What did they do? They stayed in Jerusalem. And so you're going to see God bring persecution to that church. And he's going to begin to disperse it and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You got that free, it wasn't in the notes. That was commentary. Uh, Todd Gabbard's commentary, you won't read that in a commentary either. And so here we go, the disciples was multiplied, and there arose a murmuring. So all of a sudden, and I've told you this, as we grow, there will be things called growing pains. It just happens. Don't let that bother you. Don't let it like, oh, I just can't believe. There will be growing pains. The more people you put in under one roof and begin to work with different backgrounds, it's just going to have some, it's like a clutch. You're going to have to learn how to slip a double clutch a little bit sometimes, all right? And so there's this murmuring that rises up. And he says, of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Now, this will be... Hebrews that spoke Grecian, Grecian Hebrews and Hebrews. And he says, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. That'll be 26,000. Call them all together for a church meeting. And said, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. That's your topic. That's your context. Serving tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. Now, you need to underline this business. I'm going to comment on that. Your Bible is important. Every word in your Bible is important, even the little ones, because it gives us context into, and gives us a picture of what was in the mind of God on this particular subject. But we will give ourselves continually, this is the pastors, to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. 
When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied. So you take 26,000 times it by two again. And uh, I don't know where that gets you, but that gets you probably over uh, 50,000 right here in the early part of the book of Acts. And they were meeting there in Solomon's, te- uh, Solomon's porch there in the temple. And it was a quite a big arena. Now let us pray. We'll get on this subject of deacons. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you now. Lord, help us today. As we look at the Word of God, we look at this church. And you said the things that were written aforetime, they are written for our learning. And there's things that we need to learn and take note of from this portion of Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit of God guide us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, as I said before, when God is moving, Satan is moving. That's what we found there in Acts chapter 5. Remember, this thing was growing. He says everybody was on the same page in unity. You must have unity in the house of God, doctrinally, and on the same page. And so what happened is everybody was full of the Holy Spirit of God. Everybody's on the same page except Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter says, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. We've seen God judge that thing there. So Satan was attacking this early church from within. And then we see that Peter and John, and through their ministry, as they were headed to the temple for the hour of prayer, they healed this impotent man. And that made the Jews and the Pharisees and those religious people mad. And so we see Satan attacking from the outside. What did Christ say? He says that these Pharisees, they were of their father the devil. And he says, and the lust of their father they would do. They were against God. They were against Jesus. They were against the church. And here you see, uh, you see the tares rise up. These are children of the devil. They happen to be in positions of power. And they were running things there. But that doesn't make them good. And so persecution happens to Peter and John. They take a beating there. And they commanded them not to preach in the name of Jesus. So we see the Satan attack from the outside. And so that didn't help. The church doubled in size again. And so here in chapter 6, Satan moves back to the inside and attacks through murmuring. And so their first point is the rise of the murmuring. We see here God, if you know your Bible, God hates murmuring. There's a verse there in Numbers chapter 14, verse 29. He says, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Remember that? God told them to go into the land of Canaan. And they sent those spies in there. Two of the spies come back, Joshua, Caleb. They gave a true and honest report. Ten of them come back and said, the Bible says they gave an evil report. That means they begin to lie. And they discouraged the hearts of the people. And they would not, there's another example, Brother Dave, would not obey 
the command of God. And so the Lord says, because you're stiff-necked and you just won't obey, and Samuel says that it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Because he says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. He said it all, it all rides there together. Just simply obey. And as parents, I always tell you, you need to make sure your children obey and teach them and work with them to obey because disobedience is wrong. And it'll lead that child as they come into adulthood down the wrong path in life. That's why we got such problems in our country today because you've got a bunch of adolescents and young adults that's never been made to mind running around doing whatever they want and hurting people. It's wrong. So we see the rise of the murmuring. Now as a pastor, I'm going to give you a pastor's perspective. There are three main problems that you will deal with in church. And you'll be able to, whatever problem you're dealing with, as a rule, there are some exceptions to the rule, but as a rule, It'll always be boiled down to these three things I'm getting ready to tell you. Number one, money. Who's in charge of it? Or who's in control of it? Number two, power. Who's in charge? You ever get in those churches and there's that constant power struggle and you got your little cliques, you got your little committees and stuff like that and you got the deacons against the pastors and so on and so forth. Uh, it's all out of the pit of hell, but you'll deal with that problem as a pastor in a church on who's in charge. And then number three... The third problem you'll deal with, and I've had to deal with this some as I begin to think about this in these 12 years, recognition. My people love to be patted on the back, don't they? Uh, petting people's ego for things they do. You know, if you've volunteered or supposed to mow the grass around here, uh, you don't get a brownie for doing that. It's what you were supposed to do, you know. If I get in the pulpit and fill the pulpit as the pastor, I shouldn't get a, a prize and a brownie and a hot fudge sundae after it. That's what I was supposed to do. And so, uh, and sometimes you have pastors have problem with it. If you don't stroke their ego, they pout. They run off like little kids and pout over in a corner. Like, well, nobody likes me. Well, probably not. <laughs> but those are the three problems you're going to deal with. And right here, you're dealing with uh, widows being neglected. Now, if you need to know more about widows and how they're to be dealt with in the word of God and we'll get to that it's probably that's why I told you this morning we'll end up in the pastoral epistles there in Timothy and Timothy gives the church the direction and commands on dealing with widows and you can read that. That's not what I'm going to get into this morning. I'm, I'm on deacons and I don't want to get off the path because we're going to put the fire down on deacons. And there's a lot of churches in this area that have deacon problems. And a lot of it is stemmed from they don't understand what a deacon is and what a deacon does. I know many people in this area think that a deacon's job is to tell the pastor what to do. 
And you say, well, that's how it's been in my church all my life. That's fine. I didn't say there wasn't different church governments. But we're talking about the Bible's way of governing. We are Baptists and we believe in biblical authority. And so the things that we do and don't do, we base upon the Word of God. And nowhere in the Bible do you see deacons telling pastors what to do. And here in this context, you see that deacons are table waiters. We're going to get in that. So we see this rise of the murmuring. And this is a problem because the widows were being neglected. Now to put you in context, everybody was getting saved and called in the full-time ministry. Remember Acts chapter 2, and I always get into it, and I love to get into it. Because generally, if you start talking about tithing, the first response you get out of a person is, well, that's Old Testament. Like, hey man, I'm glad you got, got a little Bible and you take your Bible to Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. And there, in the first church, they gave it all. So how do you want it? <laughs> you want it all? You want to give it all? They were giving it all. I don't recommend you give it all. I, I recommend that you, you pick you a balance. But God has never demanded less than 10%. He's never raised his rates. But in the New Testament, we say grace giving. So if you want to give it all, there's liberty and grace. You can give it all. God, God will say, yeah, I'll bless you. But you can stick with what God has been with since the beginning of time, since Abraham, who lived 450 years before the law. Abraham tithed. That's the first mention of the word tithe. Abraham, he lived all those years before the law. Moses incorporates it into the law. So it predates the law. Christ commends it. It says, do it, or during his earthly ministry. And then Paul instructs and commands it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And so we see these widows were being neglected. They didn't have Social Security. They didn't have retirements. And uh, the ladies were living longer than the men. And so this need, you got 26,000 people here. There's quite a few widows. And the widows, they were Jews, but they spoke a different language. They spoke Grecian. They were being neglected. And so this comes to the ears of the pastors. And I told you, this might have been what Satan used to motivate Ananias to lie about what he was given because he kept back part of the cell of his land. I think that's what motivated him. He wanted to take care of his wife after he passed away. And Peter said, you could have kept the whole thing. You didn't have to give it. They weren't making them give. They were doing so under the inspiration and impression of the Holy Spirit of God. God was working in a mighty way. So we begin to look here in verse 2 at the reasoning of the apostles. And it says here, look at verse 2 with me. Then the twelve... That's the apostles. Called the multitude of the disciples. That's the church. Another name for the church is saints or disciples. That's disciplined student is what the word disciple means. Unto them and said, it is not reason, amen, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's what the problem was. The widows 
There wasn't food being put on their table. And they were running the pastures to death. They couldn't keep up with it. And I've told you, as we grow, and we're growing, there'll come a time in here where we will need and have need of a deacon. And you say, right, yeah, because I will assign him a certain number of families. Because I just won't be able to get and run to everybody. But one of the deacon's job will be to take care of tables. And I'll get into that in a moment. So they began to reason and said, look, nothing should detour us from doing the main things pastors should do. And that is preach and pray. Uh, Verse 4, look at verse 4 with me. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what the pastor's job is, to be continually in the word. There's a lot of pastors today, and I'm hard on pastors, probably because I am one, that don't study through the week. They don't spend enough time in the word of God, and they don't spend enough time in prayer. And they do a disservice to people in the pew. And that could be why our churches are so weak. Because there's not good expository preaching from the Word. So this, this preaching and praying, and this is the main thing that a pastor does, was commanded also to Pastor Timothy in the pastoral epistles. Where the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee, therefore before God... And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So he commands him to preach the word of God. A pastor is also. Uh, needs to be able to teach, apt to teach. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, the Bible says this in verse 2, and he gives you the requirements of what should be in a man that's been called into the pastorate before you call him to be your pastor. He should be able to teach, look at this, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. You should be able to teach and handle the Word of God. And so that's the job of the pastor. But then we get into the deacons. And, and I, I meant to say this a little earlier because every once in a while, and I'm not saying nobody here's done this, sometimes you got to let me have a little fun because I've had to argue or dispute these issues in the past and so I'm just relaying some of the things that's been told me well this ain't deacons here I've been told that by deacons well this ain't deacons and I say well why 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 do you not say that it's deacons well because the word deacon doesn't show up okay I said uh, have you ever heard the phrase there's more than one way to skin a cat oh yeah yeah okay I said, how many offices in the Bible are there in the church? Now, sometimes I'll get an answer. Most of the time, I don't. And when I don't, I'll say, see, that's your problem. 
That's part of the problem. This is why you're thinking that way, that this is not deacons. Because the word deacon don't show up. And they said, what? Well, there's only two offices, pastors and deacons. Now, we've already identified the pastors. Now, if you want to get real deep into the Word of God, there's one other office you'll find in the church. Saints or disciples. And it showed up in our text. So you got three offices. Pastors, deacons, saints or disciples. You see how that works? That's the only three you will find in this Bible. And so if you've already identified two, this is a math problem. So you have three. Pastor, deacon, saint. Take away two. Pastor, saints. What do you got left? Deacon. Amen. I knew you'd see it my way. See, it's the only, there's only three options. If two of the three are used, you think he's got to spell it out? No, he's telling you, you need to, what's the Bible say? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so the Bible, because now it's in its completed form, uh, the God told the Apostle Paul, you need to talk about this thing, deacons that showed up in chapter 6 to clarify what they do. So I figured I'd get it here in the first mention, just in case somebody's watching on our live stream and they kind of get that little skeptical, well, it don't say deacons. It don't say nothing about Christmas either, but I guarantee you still waiting on presents under the Christmas tree, don't it? Uh-huh. <laughs> You'll learn that sometimes people say things they really don't mean. They just say them to try to win an argument. I'm not trying to win an argument, I'm trying to get to the facts. And so he says, deacons. And so we see that deacons here in this context were to free up part of the time of the preachers so they could pray, prepare, and preach. That's what I do. That's what I do all week. I am constantly in prayer, and I'm constantly in the book, and i got to be careful to balance my family life because I'll tell you, I just, I just love to study. And I love to read, and I love to get in the book, and I love to see what other people have said about it, and, and, and just keep digging and digging. But you, you do have a family, and you've you got to spend time with them. But that is the job of your pastor, is to pray. You do want your pastor to pray for you, right? I mean, you don't want to face this world this week without your pastor knowing your pastor is praying for you. I go out around two every day, and I spend time in prayer praying for each and every one in here. I even prayed for the visitors this morning. I had remembered their name. And I prayed and spent some time in prayer there. Why? Because God, for today, they're under my care. I'm praying for them. Pray that God bless them and help them in this life. Pastor's job is to pray. Pastor's job is to prepare and preach. Deacons were to free up that time so that the pastors could prepare. And remember, Aaron, verse 4, praying comes first. Look at that, verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. 
and to the ministry of the word. That's preparing and preaching. See, now why did he put it like that? I'll tell you why. Real preaching emerges from diligent praying. Charles Spurgeon said this, if he was given a choice, if you sometimes as a pastor you get into a time crunch. And he said if he was given the option, and he always taught his preacher boys this, if you're given the option of praying or studying right before you've got to get up to preach and you don't know what you're going to do, always invest in the prayer. Always. You know what? I found that to be true. I've spent gobs of time studying and get up to preach and it'd be dead as a hammer. You know why? Because I didn't spend enough time bathing it in prayer. you got to have the unction of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God to open the minds of the eyes of the people. Without prayer, we're nothing. Without Christ, we can do nothing. So the pastor's job is to be continually in prayer and to prepare to preach. But then we see the request of the apostles. Look how they begin to involve the church. And I'm looking, I'm pushing to go that way uh, in, in this church I'm getting a little older, and it's, it's hard for me to. There was a time, 10 years ago, and I'd jump off, off, off the piano, and I would, I would play a special, and then I'd go back and play the piano, and I'd jump up and do the announcements, and I'd go, you got to change all these hats. And I'd, I'd mow the grass, and then I'd do the maintenance and all through the week, and I'd put the different hats on, and then I'd try to get in the pulpit to preach. Well, I'm not in my 40s no more. And the doctors told me, you're going to have to slow down a little bit. Now I was waiting for them to say what I thought they would say, because you're fat. But they didn't say that. They were nice. <laughs> you're a little overweight, you know. <laughs> you kind of got to slow down a little bit. Okay, okay. But we see the request of the pastors here. And here's what they did. Look with me here in verse, uh, verse, verse 3. And he says, Wherefore, brethren, talking to the church, look ye out among you seven men of the honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over, I hope you underlined it, this business. Now, what business is that? Running the pastor? Running the church? No. We've been talking about waiting on tables, specifically widows' tables. I mean, you can't get any more plain than that in the Word of God. Uh, what did it say? This business. Why do deacons in many churches today think they run the church? Why do they think they run the pastor? I've heard this from deacons. Well, we're protecting the church from the pastor. If you can't trust your pastor, you need to get rid of him and get somebody else. And I'm not saying all pastors are honest and above board. But they should be accountable, and you should be able to, because you got a Bible, and you could, should follow along with them and see whether those things are so or not. That's not the jobs of the deacons. You say, well, in the churches I've been in, that's what they did. Well, that's fine, but not here, because we're Bible believers and independent Baptists. There's a reason, and you need to know that reason. Here's how it works. God, pastor, people. It's how our business meetings work. I don't have a clique of deacons 
fat-bellied deacons that's going to run this church however they see fit, no matter what the church wants to do. We've had that once before, a long time ago. And so the church would agree to do one thing, they'd get back there and do whatever they wanted. That don't happen. I call it out. It's God, pastor, people, saints, deacons, because someone might come up to me and says, you know, pastor, I've been kind of looking at that grapevine back there. You know, maybe we need to get on that. You know who you call? A deacon. <laughs> you get a man in the church. We'll talk about that later. Uh, uh, and I got my eye on one already. As we grow, we'll need one. But he won't be over the business. He'll be over this business, which is waiting tables. There's three tables you'll find in the Word of God in the New Testament. Widow's table, which is in this context. The Lord's table. That's right, they serve the Lord's Supper. And then the pastor's table. They take care of the pastor's table and make sure that that man has what he needs to live life so he can be continually in prayer in the Word of God. People don't like that. Well, that's what the Bible says. That's the three tables that deacons are over. That's a realm of authority. They are servants of the church. So if the church and the pastor say, you know what? I think we need to get some more light bulbs or we need to go visit so-and-so. We need to go do this. We get the deacons. And by the way, someone can do the net math. 26,000 people, seven deacons. You ever been in these churches? There's 20 people there and seven deacons. The ratio's off. You don't need that many deacons. You got 26,000 people here and seven deacons. Do the math. We're never going to get big enough to have more than one deacon, maybe two. You assign, and what I'll do is I'll assign so many families. If you don't want to overload your deacon, get them about 16 to 20, 25 families. And they're responsible for those families. If those families don't show up, if there's a need, they know. You report into the deacon. The deacon sits down with the pastors. We grow. That's how you got to do it. And you get into a bigger church. That's how we did it up at Hope Baptist Church. You get three or 400 people in there, you'll wear a pastor out. So you got to have a couple deacons. you got to have a couple assistant pastors to help you with all that. So the request of the apostles is look you out. Seven men. So that's church involvement. He tells the people, you know the people's 26,000 here. Look out seven men. And he says, now, number one, make sure they have an honest report. They can't have this reputation in town that they're ripping people off. they got to have a good, honest report from not only those within, but without. Look at this. Full of the Holy Ghost of God. They need to have the anointing of God on them. Well, that'll eliminate 98% of all deacons today. As I think about half of them are full of the devil. I'm hard on deacons because of our past and the problems and troubles we had had. Not anymore. But I just know how the snow blows on this thing. I'm not a spring chicken. It's not my first hayride. You're going to deal with power? Who's in charge? Who controls the money? recognition it's the three main problems you'll deal with in a church so he involves the church in the work 
Church is not to be a spectator sport. We have turned church into spectator sports today, have we not? Laser lights, you're not going to see that here. We're not doing that. Uh, we're still going to sing out of the hymns. We're still going to play our specials, sing our specials, and enjoy and have the children sing. I, I love getting children involved and teaching them how to worship in the house of God. We, we've gotten away from that because we've turned church into entertainment. It's not right. You will never find that in the church, in the Bible. Church is not a spectator sport. The pastor shouldn't have to do everything. I know in years gone by, people would come up with these brilliant ideals. Not that they were going to do them, but they thought maybe I should do them. I might have been that naive 10, 12 years ago. Not anymore. <clears throat> I don't need any more to do. <laughs> I've got enough. i got enough. And church needs to have the involvement of its members. You're part of this thing. Your pastor is not your servant. Your pastor is God's servant. Deacons. Now the name deacon means this. One who executes the commands of another. That's your Bible definition. They're the servants of the church. If you want to give somebody else more work to do, <laughs> we'll find us a deacon. <laughs> And then they're appointed over this business. I hope you underline that phrase, this business. It's not the business. It's this business, waiting tables. Deacons are not over the business. They're over this business. Deacons are the servants of the church and their supporters and helpers of the pastor. If a deacon can't support the leadership of the man of God, then he has no business being a deacon in the church. Deacons don't protect the church from the pastors. The Bible clearly says that's the pastor's job, to protect the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Deacons serve the church under the direction of the pastor. Since the beginning, Genesis, all the way through, God has called a man to lead His people. He did not call a committee or a board. You won't find that in your Bible. He did not call a committee or a board. Never. He always rose up a man. Always. Always. He called a man of God to give management and leadership to His people. Deacons are appointed, now you need to catch that. Let me read it so you get it. Verse 6, because the people pick them out. They said, well, let's, let's, we know what we're looking for. So the pastors involve the people. You, you go find them. I'm not interviewing 26,000 people. <laughs> Somebody can do the math on that. Divide 26 by 12. They, they, that'd have been a, that, that, <laughs> could you imagine trying to interview 26,000 employees, potential employees? You can't do that. So when, when they've been picked, then they're examined by the pastors. Look at this, verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. That's who appoints them. You can pick them or suggest them. Then the pastor's going to examine them in light of the Word of God, and then appoint them. You say, oh, we always voted on our deacons. 
that's because you're running under a Lutheran uh, or a Methodist polity system. There's different polity system. That word, that's a fancy word. It's just the new word of the week. I'm having fun with it. It means government. It doesn't mean I'm smart. Just a new word. Polity. That means governing, how it governs. There's different governing styles that man has used that are opposite or different than the Bible says to do. Again, that's why there's been a remnant that's always stayed true to the Word of God and not allowed to leaven to get in. Not a committee. There's not a board that does this stuff. It's God, pastors. He said, well, I don't like your tone. It's probably because you might not be born again or two, don't know the Bible. You can pick your poison on that. I'm not trying to be mean. Again, I've had to deal with a lot of this stuff in years gone by. People got all kinds of different opinions and ideals. And I like your opinions and ideals, but when they're against the Word of God, I'm sticking with the book. It's how we govern ourselves. So now, our last point, the results of the decision. Verse 7. What does God do at the result of this? Verse 7. And the word of God increased. Yeah, that's because the pastor had more time to pray and prepare and preach. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have to try to work two or three jobs, try to barely eke out a living and then come in and, and, and stay up till midnight, one, two o'clock in the morning. I, I know some pastors that do that. Thank God I don't have to. I'm, I'm spoilt. And y'all have spoilt me. And I thank God for that. You've allowed me to pray, prepare, and preach. Thank you. Thank you, church. You're biblical. You're trying to do it right. And that's good. And this is not a rebuke. It's just, this is where we are. On deacons. We've got to preach about deacons. So what does God do as a result of this? Does He bless this? Or does He say... I didn't quite like that. You should have maybe got you a committee and voted on them. And, and maybe you should have done that. No. Let's see what God did. Let's, let's see. We asked the question to the Word of God. Did God bless what the pastors did here? Well, let's see. Verse 7. And the Word of God increased. Uh-oh. Well, that's a good. That's a positive. And the number of the disciples multiplied. It goes from 26,000 times it by two just to be conservative. I don't know what the number is on that off the top of my head because I don't have my calculator. But that's somewhere, it's got to be somewhere around 50,000. Is that correct? 52,000. Amen. 52,000 people. This thing doubles. God's blessing this. Now, numbers doesn't always mean God blesses. But in this particular instance, it does. And then he says, in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests. That's your Pharisees and the priests. The, the, the Jews that were steeped in religion, he said they were obedient to the faith. They get saved. God put his stamp of approval and his blessing on what the apostles did here and says, look, we can't leave the word of God in prayer to try to make sure everybody's fed in this church group of 26,000 people. 
So he says, look ye out, seven men of honest report, full of the... I mean, you wouldn't want preachers, uh, deacons, uh, uh, stealing money and, and, and taking food that they're supposed to be putting on widows' tables and keeping it from themselves, would you? I mean, you've got to have an honest report. And so God blesses this thing. Deacons are over this business, tables, waiting tables. Pastors are over the business. And God is over them. He's the chief shepherd. The pastor is an under-shepherd. We don't have apostles no more. They're off the scene. You had to see the Lord and be handpicked by Christ to be an apostle. That hasn't happened since the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. You say, well, I know a lot of people, they, they call themselves apostles. Well, you understand the devil has apostles too, don't you? I mean, he, he's on the move. People don't realize that. Well, I'm showing you God's way. I'm preaching you God's book. I'm preaching you the Word of God and how God set it down and what God blessed. Maybe that's why a lot of churches are not getting blessed today. Because they got that power struggle. Deacons think they're in charge, and they're not. Unless you're talking about putting the food on the buffet tables out there. We can make allowances for that. Because their job is to wait tables. Oh, preacher, I've never... I know, I know. It's amazing... What people can learn out of the Word of God when someone just take the time to spend a little time and break it down for you. This is what your Bible says. This is what we do. This is why we do what we do. We're chasing this church through the New Testament. What was God blessing? What was God not blessing? And what do we need to be doing today? Now, maybe this morning... You're not born again. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're thinking the church is the building. This is a wonderful building and we call it a church. But the church is born again believers who have been scripturally baptized. There, that's the church. That's who the church was there. They didn't have a building. They were meeting out in the open air. You say, well, I, I, I didn't know about that. Well, then you need to know and learn about Christ because he died for you on a cross to pay your sin debt as a lost person you're in enmity with God that means your sins that you have that you inherited from Adam has put you at enmity with God and before you could go to heaven that enmity must be reconciled and so God made a way to reconcile. He paid that debt, that wrong sin, your sin debt. And so then he says, upon you understanding and learning that you're a sinner, of course he says, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Everybody dies, right? That means everybody sins. And so Christ come to pay that debt to redeem you, reconcile you back into the good graces of God because heaven is where God dwells. You don't just march into heaven on your own terms. 
So you're going to have to understand you're a sinner. Two, you're going to have to admit you're a sinner. Three, you're going to have to be willing to ask God to forgive you of your sins. This is part of the plea deal, the reconciliation agreement. You've got to come on God's terms, not your terms, God's terms. And then he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he says, For with the mouth confession is made, and with the heart man believeth unto salvation. Romans 10, 9, 10, right in there. And so you're going to have to be willing to come to Christ. He's going to be your Lord. He says, the, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a title. It means that you must recognize that Jesus is God. Lord, Jehovah. Lord, Jesus Christ. It's like, oh, preacher. Yeah, you're switching sides. Your father right now is the devil if you're lost. Christ says you can get on the winning side, but I'm going to be your Lord. And so you've got to surrender and come to him, ask him to save you. That's how simple it is. It's not complicated. But if you're not part of the church, if you've not been born again, you need to come or ask questions and get that sorted today. Let's all stand, please.